History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 319th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I'm your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, it is that time of the year. And we're going to talk about something that we've only referred to a little bit on previous episodes. We're going to talk about you all. Wait a minute. You all? <laughs> you? You all? You, you well. It's not y'all. <laughs> and apparently it's not you'll. It's you all. Right. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'm sure that I'll get crucified for <laughs> saying it wrong. But I've always, from the time I was a child, heard it pronounced Yule. So clearly, I was incorrect. I've always said it Yule to Yuletide, Yule log, that kind of thing. Yeah. So. But we'll try to get it right on this episode. Definitely. And the really cool thing is we sent out a little package to all of our executive producers who helped to bring the podcast to everybody else. And they're all starting to get them and sending me pictures on Instagram and Facebook. I know. I love seeing their postings. And what's really cool for them is not only did they get a magnet that nobody else can get and they got a sticker with a new logo. But I did some original artwork that is the postcard that I sent out with season screamings, and it reveals what Mort actually looks like. I know. I love it. I love Mort so much. So now everybody <laughs> knows what the big guy looks like. Definitely. We're all wondering what he's got in his bag. Um, I don't know if we really want to know. Probably not. <laughs> I'm leaving it up to everyone's imagination. But we just wanted to thank all of our executive producers. It's just a small token of our gratitude for you guys helping us to produce the podcast. Absolutely. We couldn't do it without you guys. So thank you so much. And we also love all of you who join us over in the Spooktacular crew. We've had a great year of sharing wonderful friendship and all kinds of cool things in the group. If you have not joined us, make that something you do in 2020. Come join us in the Spooktacular crew. Yes, please come join our spooky little family. It's a really fun, safe place for all of your weird and interesting comments and postings. And we just have a blast. And it's young person safe, too. I wouldn't have like maybe small children in there because they really shouldn't be on Facebook anyway. But you're 13 year old and older. It's safe stuff in there. Family yeah, friendly. we try to keep it family friendly. Definitely. Sort of. Well, <laughs> I mean, there is some horror stuff well, in there. And stuff. Yeah, I mean, with discretion, of course. With that being said, we want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Betty, Jennifer, Nicholas, Bonnie, Susan, Samantha, and Devion. Thanks for joining us, guys. And now, this moment, Noddity. The moment in Oddity was suggested by Mitch Riggs. There is a story about a fateful pair of shoes that dates back to the time of the Civil War, the Battle of Gettysburg to be exact. 
Members of the 1st Massachusetts Cavalry were marching to Gettysburg when they came upon an obstacle in the road. There was a wagon full of stuff stuck in the road. The regiment quickly moved the wagon and then distributed the goods among themselves, which included thread, needles, pipes, tobacco, and a pair of white canvas shoes. The cavalry private who grabbed the shoes used a pen to put his initials on both pairs of shoes, RVC. The next day, the regiment arrived in Gettysburg and participated in the battle. RVC was killed in a skirmish, and a Confederate took his canvas shoes. He put them on immediately, but didn't get to use them for long, as he was soon killed. The shoes became Yankee footwear again, as another of the first Massachusetts members took the shoes from the rebel. He put them on and went to catch some sleep that evening as the fighting stopped. The battle began again early in the morning, and the Confederates started gaining ground once again. The Yankee was one of the first killed in the battle. This time, though, no one bothered to grab the shoes. Clearly, they had figured out that those canvas shoes were unlucky. Three men were killed wearing those shoes in a period of 36 hours, and that certainly is odd. Grab your slippers, hot chocolate, flashlight, and maybe even that baseball bat. And now, this month in history. In the month of December, on the 17th in 1903, Orville and Wilbur Wright completed the first controlled flight of a heavier-than-air aircraft in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. The brothers had not always been pilots trying to get a plane off the ground. They'd started off as printers, and then they opened a bicycle shop. But through all of that time, they'd worked on various contraptions to attain flight. Three days before their successful flight, Wilbur had been at the controls, and the plane had stalled and crashed. Orville would take over on December 17th with conditions that were perfect. Orville wrote of the experience, According to our anomometers at this time was blowing a little over 20 miles. 27 miles according to the government anomometer at Kitty Hawk. On slipping the rope, the machine started off increasing in speed to probably 7 or 8 miles. The machine lifted from the truck just as it was entering on the fourth rail. Mr. Daniels took a picture just as it left the tracks. A sudden dart went out about 100 feet from the end of the tracks ended the flight. Time, about 12 seconds, not known exactly as watch was not promptly stopped. The brothers would make three more flights that day with each one gaining more distance than the one before. The last flight covered 852 feet in 59 seconds. I've been to Kitty Hawk and seen the marks where the plane landed. It doesn't seem like very far, but when you think of the time period and that we now send people to space, it truly was extraordinary what mankind could accomplish. We mentioned UL briefly in the History Goes Bump Christmas special in 2015, but we've never just focused on this set of beliefs, practices, and traditions. On this episode, we're going to peer into the darkness to find the light that will lead us into spring, because that is really what UL is about for most people that observe it. This is an opportunity to take the time during the darkest part of the year and focus on the end of the year and what the future holds and to prepare for the rebirth that spring brings. This is also a festival of rituals for which much of the traditions and practices of Christmas are rooted. Join us as we explore UL.
The winter solstice is on December 21st, 2019. UL this year, 2019, starts on December 22nd and ends on January 2nd, 2020. The community that surrounds History Goes Bump is the best. We might be biased, but I just love the richness of beliefs, traditions, thoughts, ethnicities, locations, and love that our members bring to our group. Suzanne put it so well in the Spooktacular crew when she said, love reading all these traditions. I had no idea. Going to have to add some of them to my family traditions. Thanks, guys. This is what I love about this group. I learn so much. And for those that love Cemetery Bingo, you have Suzanne to thank for that. I also agree with Suzanne. I learned so much from everybody here. And we couldn't share about UL without asking our community. For those that observe UL, what are some of your traditions? That is what Suzanne was commenting about. So everybody dropped a comment down underneath this, and I thought I would share some of their practices that they do. Very cool. Melissa P. says, I make a Yule log, and my family writes down their wishes for the coming year, and we burn them in the fire. This is the Yule log I made for this year, and I did post that up on our Instagram account if you want to see Melissa's creation. We found the log, pine cones, and pine needles during a family outing up to the snow. It may not be traditional, but it's what I was called to make. And it's very cool. It looks like a log with uh, some drill holes in it. And I think she has five candles stuck in it. Yeah, it's, it's really neat. It's super special, you know, because they went out and gathered that as a family. Exactly. And I mean, what a great outing, because if you think about it, a lot of people, I know we did this when I was a kid in the youth group at church. We always had a live tree in the church and the youth group would go out up to the mountains and we'd go cut a tree down and bring it in for the Christmas tree. So it kind of reminds me of doing the same thing here. Although usually when people are going out to get a Yule log, you're not cutting it off of a tree. You're finding it on the ground as though nature has given it to you. Right. As an as an offering from nature. Exactly. (laughs) SB said, we light candles to chase away the darkness and eat a pomegranate or two. I thought that was interesting. I don't know what the significance of the pomegranate would be, but... But I like pomegranate, so I'm all for it. I do too, (laughs) although it stains your fingers. Well, yeah. Well, you gotta gotta hit it with a spoon. You know, you cut it in half, you hit it with a spoon and the seeds fall out. I had no idea you could do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I actually, when I was a kid, I'd get stained fingers too. But yeah, you whack it with the spoon and they pop out. I learned something new. We'll have to get some pomegranates. (laughs) We'll definitely have to do that. Shannon B says, we usually have a feast with friends, fill a paper mache boar with wishes for the coming year, and then burn the wishes, not the boar. He's too cute. And light candles for Persephone and to welcome back the light, chase away the darkness. We also do commercial Christmas with the tree and the gifts and minus the Jesus. Janae M. says, we have dinner with friends and write down wishes for the coming year. Lighting a candle to welcome back the sun is a must. I light it as the sun sets and then let it burn safely on my altar, which is in my bedroom, so its glow can remind us of the coming warmer months. Lots of warmth, light, and love. Sarah E. said, key one for me is lighting a candle and being sure that it burns through midnight in order to lend light to the world in its darkest time. If I could, I would leave one burning all night to offer strength to the sun. I'll traditionally take a few minutes to consider the year to come as well. Although Samhain is the end of the old year, I make my resolutions at UL. Beth V says, UL and Solstice coincide and it depends really on pagan type and geography. My grandparents were old country Eastern Europe, so we celebrated Solstice. But there is a lot of crossover. For Solstice, we celebrate the longest night and fires for warmth and stories are usually a tradition. Singing too. The main gift, often handmade, is given on solstice and then small presents following with only a stocking with fruit and candy for the 25th. 
but the 21st overnight to the 22nd was most important. Diane V. says, Light a fire started with the Yule log from last year that has been on the hearth, family dinner and candle lighting. Lil from Knock Once for Yes says that we are lucky enough to have a winter solstice lantern walk around a local lake. The path around the lake is lit with candles. People bring their lanterns, and a lot of them are homemade and amazing. There was even a dragon-shaped lantern one year. Cool. Yeah, it's super cool. I'd love to see that. Yeah. And at the end of the walk, there's a big bonfire and mince pies. At home, I light our fire and leave a mince pie and a glass of mead on the mantelpiece for any visiting spirits who stop by, as it tends to be an active time of year. In fact, we've had a few things happen already this season. Tell me more. Yeah, <laughs> I want to hear about did. it. We've heard someone moving around upstairs. There was no one. It's just the two of us and the cat was with us at the time. I saw a white shape move across the room reflected in the mirror. No car lights passing as it was the side of the house facing the garden. The same day, I heard someone knock on our door, but the street was empty and my partner saw our recently deceased cat twice in the space of a couple minutes. It's been a bit busy in our house. Well, I'll goodness. Say. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And then Jess from Shoes, Booze, and Tattoos says, we usually eat a lot, including a Yule log-shaped cake. I'm in. Heck yeah. And drink a lot of beer. I'm in again. Yeah, I was just going to say, times two. And I also wanted to point out that Jess just put up an episode about winter magic. And she talks about a lot of the herbs that you can use during the winter and awesome. astral projection and looking to the future and making your goals and that kind of thing. So if you want to check that out, she's got that episode up. So the common practices here seem to be lighting candles, Kelly, and or a fire and then making wishes for the new year. And then there are other traditions based on personal preferences or location, as we saw. But it seems like pretty much everybody is lighting a candle, or if they're not lighting a candle, they're setting fire to something. <laughs> <laughs> not fireworks. <laughs> and the thing that I thought was really interesting is they were making wishes for the new year, or, you know, I guess we could call them resolutions or goals or that kind of thing. They burn them. So I it's guess it's just like a way of offering it up to the universe, maybe. That's what I was thinking. Maybe it was just the flames going up, which also makes me think, is that why we put candles on a cake and blow it out? Is it in blowing that out and the smoke is going up? Is it taking that wish that you just made all over the cake? That would make sense. Out to the universe. See, all these things are all connected together. <laughs> they are. <laughs> but where does all of this come from? First, let us just clarify that pagan and Wiccan beliefs are a matter of personal choice and run the gamut. We've been joined on episodes by several pagan practitioners in the past, and I would say that they all have their own eclectic practices. They kind of take what they need and leave the rest. Certainly. It seems like it's definitely personal preference and, and their own individual beliefs. And I think that's the case for a lot of people, whatever religious belief you have. I kind of work the same way. I take I agree. this piece, throw that to the side, that kind of thing. Sure. What we're talking about here is not strict. Everybody does this, or if you're not doing that, you're doing it wrong or something like that. The term UL is derived from the Old Norse. I'm assuming it's Joel, something like that. It's J-O-L. Although it has also been referred to as, and I'm going to butcher this too, Midsfortra Blot. <laughs> I think. Okay. <laughs> or Midwinter Sacrifice. That sounds better. <laughs> I don't know. Sacrifice? Well, Maybe not. <laughs> pronunciation wise. <laughs> First, we have difficulty establishing origins on our present calendar because there have been several calendars throughout history. Obviously, anybody who knows anything about history knows that we're working with a lot of different calendars here. 
We are now in what we call the Gregorian calendar. One of the ancient lunar months was known as Jultungal, which translates to UL moon. There are those who maintain that there were two parallel calendars before the Julian calendar. One was based on weeks for the quarters of the year, and each quarter started four weeks after the astronomical solstices and equinoxes. This was called the week year calendar. The other calendar was the lunar solar calendar, was based on lunar months within the solar year, rectified to the winter solstice. Basically, to put this in English without hurting everybody's brain. Yes, please. Because it was making my (laughs) brain hurt thinking about this. The point is that traditionally, the Yule feast was to be observed at the first full moon after the first new moon following the winter solstice. Gotcha. So the winter solstice was always the same time. And so they would base a lot of stuff off of that. Okay, so it is thought that the oldest Yuletide feast was called Hokanot in Scandinavia and was first described by the 6th century Byzantine writer Procopius. This feast was to celebrate the return of the sun and was observed right after the winter solstice. The earliest reference to Joel was in a 9th century Norse praise poem in honor of Harold Fairhair's victory at the Battle of Hafersfjord, which unified the kingdom of Norway. (laughs) I'm sorry. Glad you got those Scandinavian <laughs> and Norse words. Back in around the 16th century, it was a time of year where food tended to be scarce for humans and animals. This was a time of famine and probably why this time was also called the midwinter sacrifice. The cattle would be butchered before this time because there would not be enough food to feed them. And the people would then need them for food. So it was a time for great meat feasting, so to speak. Kelly, as we come into the winter solstice, we're moving from the darkest time of the year to the light again. You know how much I hate that we get dark so early at night. It's probably your favorite time of year because it starts getting lighter. Well, that's true. Once we get past that hump, then I start getting happy because the days are starting to get longer. Exactly. One of the problems that, especially in Scandinavia, like here in Florida, we don't have a whole lot of issues with frost and freezing. We can still have vegetables and fruits and things like that. But obviously, in some of these Scandinavian countries, that was not the case. Right. So the people at that time would tend to slaughter their their cattle, their livestock at the beginning of the winter solstice because they wouldn't have the food plentiful enough to keep them throughout that time period. And then what they would proceed to do is feast. They had plenty of meat and it was just a time for feasting for them. So it was like, eat until you get the meat sweats. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) I suppose so. (laughs) Well, you know, it makes sense because they're not going to have enough of the grains and everything to feed the livestock. And rather than have them starve, you butcher them. And then also the people, they needed food too, because the grain you could keep probably throughout. Right. I'm sure that they would reserve a portion of that for themselves for making their own Mm -hmm. types of food. Um, But any green vegetables or anything like that, you're not going to get that now. Right, right. So this is why they would sometimes refer to it as the midwinter sacrifice. That makes sense. So the winter solstice is the longest night of the year. Thus, it would be a good time for introspection. These are the pieces of UL that have traveled through the centuries. A feast, fire or light, introspection, and future planning. That's a really cool thing that I did not know about this festival. I knew about lighting the Yule log and doing some of these other things like the candles, but I had no idea that this was also kind of what we're what everybody does when you come into a new year. You survey the old year with a little bit of introspection. Where have I come to? 
and then looking to the future, where do I want to go in the future? And I'd never put that with you well, but it makes sense because it's also not a one day affair like Christmas. It stretches over 12 days. So it will go into the new year. Right. And I think that's important. You can't just sit down for an hour or so and and really get a full overview of your entire year unless you take some time and really sit down and, and give some thought to it. I know what the biggest story of 2019 is going to be. What's that? Baby Yoda. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, my God. He's so cute. <laughs> I mean, do you even know what's going on in the storyline of The Mandalorian? Uh, not really, because I just keep watching him. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I have little I mean, bits and pieces. Bit, yeah. I know he's a bounty hunter, and I know he's supposed to be looking for people, and he was helping some village as he was hiding out <laughs> right. or something. But I'm pretty much just watching. What is baby Yoda doing? Exactly. Oh, look at his ears. Oh, look at the expression <laughs> on his face. Oh, my God. He's so cute. I want him. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Did the Mandalorian say something? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there are deities connected to UL, and they include the Oak King, the Horned One, the Green Man, Maybon, Odin, the Great Mother, Diana, who uh, that my name comes down from, Brigid. Demeter, and the Dagda. Brigitte taught the art of fire tending and working metal to the blacksmiths. We talked about her a lot on the Imbolc episode. If you guys will remember, Roxy, one of our listeners, joined me for that, and she shared about Imbolc, which is something that is observed in February, and it's really a festival for Brigitte. She is thought to be a Celtic triple goddess. She's described as a daughter of the Dagda, with two sisters having the same name by some, but by others, these three personas are three aspects of a single deity. She is a goddess of hearth and home and helps with divination and looking to the future. So you can see why she gets incorporated into UL because people are looking to the future and obviously they're decorating their hearth and, and home with certainly greenery from outside. The Dagda is an Irish deity looked at as a father figure and is said to control the weather and crops and such. So you see his connection here, since the crops have died, also controlling the weather. Please don't bring us so much snow or frost. <laughs> Especially, this is one that's very important to Diane. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> the Oak King is the counterpart to the Holly King. These two fight for supremacy, and at UL, the Oak King wins and winter reigns. The summer solstice brings victory for the Holly King and summer reigns. Some pagan systems make them the opposite, with them reigning on the equinoxes, and other traditions combine the two into the horned one. The oak king is sometimes called the god of the sun, while the holly king is referred to as the dark lord. The holly king looks something like a nature version of Santa. He's got sprigs of holly in his hair, usually dressed in red, and he's driving a sleigh that's pulled by eight stags. The oak king is thought to be a type of fertility god, and can also be referred to as the Green Man. So when I mentioned the Oak King, the Horned One, the Green Man, it's kind of the same name for the same god. It's just these different ways that they might make appearances. Most people know Odin is the chief Norse god, so it makes sense that he is connected to winter festivities, and he bears a pretty strong resemblance to Santa. That's interesting. Yeah, if you look back at a lot of these gods, they, you know, have the big, long, white beard and the sure. long, white hair. And now Odin, I don't think, looks like a jolly little fella. He's kind of buff and strong <laughs> and that kind of thing. Sam has been working out. <laughs> but we all know, if you watch some of the movies in the Marvel Universe, that uh, Thor, what did, they, what did they start calling Thor when he kind of went flabby? and? Oh, God, what was... 
Um, I could just hear the listeners are screaming at us right now what Thor yes. kind of the name you went by. Oh Fat my Thor gosh. or something. I'm, I'm I don't completely know. blanking. Bro Thor. Or yeah, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> but basically that's Odin and Santa Claus. <laughs> I think that was my most favorite costume that we saw at <laughs> Nikki's not so scary party. Absolutely. It's an easy one for most guys to pull yeah. off. Yeah, he had it all set up. <laughs> Activities for a village included wassailing to the trees and crops. The trees were mainly cider apple trees. This would be singing and uttering incantations to promote a good crop at the next harvest and to scare away evil spirits. This makes me think of us talking to our plants. Absolutely. You know, we have been listening to the Odd Tonic podcast. That's right. And Kelly, they had that really interesting episode on basically it was kind of based on that book, The Secret Life of Plants, and where there was this scientist that was doing experiments with plants. It is amazing. He was doing like a lie detector test type of reading on the plants themselves. And, and he, he was <laughs> figuring out that the plants, like if a guy came into the room that harshly trimmed his plants or was killing his plants, yeah, the plants would be afraid of him. I know. It was so bizarre. It's like they knew. Yeah. I mean, now I'm like worried when I go to trim my plants. It's like, oh my goodness, I'm sorry, but this leaf is dying. I need to trim it off now. Well, you know, here we're supposed to cut our crepe myrtles back to almost the base. I know. And now I'm thinking, does the crepe myrtle hate me? <laughs> it might. <laughs> might it strangle it me leans, sometime? It leans away from you as you pull out of the driveway. <laughs> It isn't the wind <laughs> shaking the leaves on the tree. It's Aww. you. They fear you. Oh, my gosh. That's terrible. <laughs> but it was really cool. And it's where this whole idea of us talking to our plants comes from, is that through this science, and I love it when science mixes with the unexplained and weird stuff. Definitely. How do you explain how plants seem to have a consciousness, almost I a psychic know. ability to know something about somebody? How do you explain that? And they have a science that proves Exactly. Something is going on there. Well, there was that one situation where one other professor, I guess, came into the room where the plant was, and it was a brand new person. Plants hadn't been around them before, and they started freaking out on the electrodes and everything. And I guess after the fact, the person that was doing the study asked him, Have you ever destroyed your plants? And as a matter of fact, he said, Well, yes, when I'm done with my experiments. I burn them and measure their their ashen weight, or I don't remember the term that he used, mm-hmm. but he basically kills them, burns them, and then measures their dry weight. And so I guess when he came into the, the study area, the plants were freaking out. Yeah, so <laughs> how would they know? Exactly. And it so makes, it's really hard to wrap your mind around. It, it's hard for it to make sense to me. And it's just so incredible. Absolutely. And that's why when we were doing the research on this, I went, whoa. Look at how we see this is centuries ago. These people are going out into their orchards and they're singing to the trees. Exactly. And to the crops and speaking words and incantations over them. I don't know that it was necessarily just, uh, you know, like saying a magical spell over them to make them grow. It was like they knew if we talked to them, they're going to produce for us. Right. Well, they say every single thing in nature has a has a spirit. But it just blows my mind that they would think would of they doing that, that back then. Right. And here we are in our current era with science showing us 
that this makes sense. These aren't backwards people from centuries ago that were just talking to trees because they're crazy. Exactly. They were actually brilliant. <laughs> yeah. They knew something that we didn't know until science showed it to us. It's very cool. So the singing is something that Beth actually incorporates into her observance of UL. Well, when I read that, she was one of the only people, I think, that said that they would sing. And I was like, oh, that's nice. You know, we sing carols and things like that. I mean, basically wassling, kind of same thing. But here it is a part of the practice that they would do back then. Yeah, I guess many villages would have a wassling king and queen and they would lead the procession. And the queen would hold up a clavin cup with toast soaked in wassail inside of it holding it up to the trees as an offering. And one of the incantations went like this. I- I'm not singing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to sing? I don't want to sing. We'll just kill everybody's ears, but we will say it. Here's to thee, old apple tree that blooms well, bears well. Hats full, caps full, three bushel bags full, and all under one tree. Hurrah, hurrah. Folklore has tales about the apple tree man, which is the persona given to the spirit of the oldest tree in the apple orchard. This is thought to be the spirit of fertility in the orchard. Ruth Tongue and Catherine Briggs wrote about the folk tales of England, and one of these tales is about a man in Somerset who offered his last mug of mulled cider to the trees in his orchard on Christmas Eve. The apple tree man saw this and decided to reward the man, so he told him where he could find some buried gold. So, Kelly, you and I like to make cider. We do. We have lots of trees around us. We do. I say we go out there and start offering some cider to these trees and see if we can find (laughs) the apple tree man and get him to show us some gold. Sounds good to me. Because you know what we're going to do if we get that? (laughs) What's that? We are buying the History Ghost Bump Clubhouse. Sweet. It's going to be some haunted Victorian somewhere. I'm all in. Let's go. Okay. Right now. I'll make the mold cider. You finish up here. All right. (laughs) So the wassling could go house to house, too. And this is where caroling actually comes from. Children would take gifts from house to house. These would be baskets made from evergreen boughs, which were sacred to the Celt since they didn't die. And wheat socks dusted with flour, which represented the harvest, with flour representing triumph, life, and light. Inside the baskets were oranges and clove-spiked apples. Mm, that sounds really good, actually. It does sound good. <laughs> and drinks would usually be offered. I'm in for that, too. Yeah. <laughs> Alcohol is a big part of the UL celebration. You heard Jess mention that. Yeah, she said they like to drink a lot of beer. So (laughs) I'm like, hey, sounds good. Get some rum spike cider. (laughs) Yeah, or whatever. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) One of the most important symbols of UL is UL log. Traditionally, the UL log was made from a log found on the householder's land or given to them as a gift. The most prized log would come from an ash tree. And I was like, huh, I wonder why they're so specific with an ash tree. Yeah. Since we're not pagan, we don't know this. But this type of tree was considered sacred by many tribes. And ash was said to be an herb of the sun. And thus it brings light to the hearth. The Vikings and Scandinavians believed that their tree of life that they called Yggdrasil was made of ash. The roots of Yggdrasil were bound in hell and its branches were in heaven. The god Odin hung on this tree for nine nights so that he could gain the gifts of prophecy and divination. He lost an eye, but received those gifts. The first man was said to have been formed from the Yggdrasil. Ash is also symbolically representative of the four elements, which takes us back to the subject of our episode a couple of weeks ago. Right. 
This UL log was decorated with evergreen sprigs and boughs and doused with cider or ale. Flour would be dusted all over it. And these all symbolize what we mentioned with the gifts the children took around. The UL logs from previous years are then used to begin the fire for the current year. And the fire would be kept burning through the night and left to smolder for the 12 days of UL. Now, in our present day, it is harder to observe this tradition because people don't always have fireplaces. We so, certainly don't here in Florida. Yeah. I, well, yeah. It's, it's a little bit warm. How does Santa get into our house? <gasps> oh, no. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> Better leave a key under the mat or something. Dog door? Oh, that's how. He better put his uh, little finger next to his nose to make him small enough to get through the dog door. (laughs) And then hope that Riley doesn't hear him coming. Yeah, exactly. Our little guard dog. So many observers of UL choose to drill three or more holes into a log and place candles in the holes that they can light. So that basically makes up for the fact they don't have a fire. Yeah, I I can see that. (laughs) I guess we'll need to do that. Yeah. The decorating goes much the same. Candle colors range from the colors of the sun god, green, gold, and black, to the colors of the great goddess, white, red, and black. And also to seasonal, like the regular red, green, and white that most people decorate with. I advise against the flower, though, because it's pretty hard to clean up. I know. I saw that they're (laughs) sprinkling flour over everything, and I'm like, oh, man. I'm a cleaning lady. I'm like, really? So when my boys were little... I had a cardboard cutout of a shoe, essentially, and mm-hmm. I would open the fireplace and I would, I actually used baking soda, but I would put down the footprint facing one way and sprinkle some baking soda around it. And then I'd flip it over so it's, it's he doesn't have two left feet. Yeah. <laughs> and I would sprinkle it around that one and just kind of make it look like he had walked into the house. Oh my gosh, what a neat idea. So it was like he was coming down through the ash and left Yeah, little... yeah. And baking soda is a little bit easier to clean than flour. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. I thought it was interesting that when they have the, the sheaves of the wheat and they would put flour on it, if you think about it, I mean, that's where the flour comes from, is from the wheat. True. So it's kind of yep. like how it's showing the beginning and the ending. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of greenery, Kelly, this is brought inside too to remind people of living, not death, and to entice those nature fairies and spirits, some of them that we mentioned when we talked about elementals, to come inside and celebrate. This is why holly, ivy, and mistletoe have become a part of Christmas. It's just part of UL. The mistletoe carried the added symbolism of fertility as the seed of the divine, and druids would travel deep into the forest to find it in the middle of winter. And I will just say that one of the reasons why they thought this is because, I don't know if you know, but mistletoe kind of gives off a bit of a white, uh, thick liquid as part of its... Whatever it does. Wait, where are we going with this? (laughs) So that's why they thought it was Um, a symbol of fertility. Okay. (laughs) The Um, the more you know. So you can probably imagine why people kissed under the mistletoe then. All right. And I've heard that mistletoe is kind of a, um, it's not really a natural thing. It's more of a weed kind of thing, I guess. I thought it was more like a, not an invasive species, but what's the word I'm looking for? It's kind of like our like, Spanish moss here. Right. It, you, you don't want it on a tree or whatever. Parasitic. Yes. It's like a parasitic yes. plant. That's exactly it. Yep. And it's poisonous to your dogs too, isn't it? I believe so. Yeah. So uh, maybe you don't want to have the mistletoe in the house. Nor poinsettias if you have pets. Oh, good point. 
So you can see the origins of Christmas in all of this. Bringing a tree into the house and decorating it with candles and bows. Christmas carols carry many lines that leave people confused because they harken back to the pagan rituals. We light fires and candles. We make resolutions. We drink apple cider and we give gifts. This is all very nice. But as you dig into the research, you do find some dark sides in the pagan traditions. The English brought mistletoe into the house to ward off evil spirits. So there, it wasn't just for fertility. It was the, I don't know if because it has that poison to it that evil spirits didn't like it or I'm not quite possibly. sure Possibly. Yeah, I, I actually don't know for sure. There is, of course, the Saturnalia, which was a week-long festival celebrating the Romans' agricultural god Saturn. This festival lasted from December 17th until December 23rd, and the festivities were anything but a time for a child to get a sparkle in their eye, as they dreamed of sugar plums and toys and tried to be good, even though a crazy elf on the shelf was watching their every move, like Big Brother, (laughs) and reporting back to jolly old Saint Nick. Come to think of it, Elf on a Shelf does add a bit of horror to Christmas season for kids. Yeah, and the elf is kind of creepy looking, too. I think he's actually very creepy looking. (laughs) I just love all the memes going around with him. Oh, I would have far too much fun if that had been around when my boys were young. (laughs) What's funny is those elves were around even when we were kids because I had one that had brown hair and one that had blonde hair. Right, right. And they almost have like that Cupid doll kind of face, but they weren't like placed around your house doing strange activities to make it look like they're keeping up on you. No, you just like sat them on the mantle. Or I actually, I had one that had blonde hair and I named him Billy. Don't know where I got that from. But he was like my buddy. I took him all over the place with me. And one night, you can ask my parents sometime, he fell out of the car when we were, I'd taken him to church and he fell out of the car when I was getting in. We could not find Billy, and I was heartbroken. Aw, poor little Diane. And that I've never forgotten Billy. <laughs> so then all the elf on the shelf started popping up, and I'm like, oh, my God, it's Billy, but it's with brown hair. Now I know what to put in your stocking. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, Saturnalia usually involved gluttonous eating, drinking alcohol to excess, gambling, and public nudity. <laughs> I'm sure none of this goes on with any of your family festivities over the holidays. Wink, wink. <laughs> or at least we hope not. Nobody wants to see Uncle Bob in without his skivvies. His pants. <laughs> Are we Running. talking about pantless ghosts the other Oh episode? my gosh, yes. yeah, We don't want to see any of that going on. Nobody needs to see that. <laughs> but Kelly, Saturnalia could get even darker. There are those who claim that Saturn was the cruelest god of the Romans and demanded child sacrifice. Yikes. This human sacrifice didn't last for long, but gladiator fights during the festival added blood. So it was like they moved from, hey, it's not real uh, cool to be killing the kids. So now we'll just let the gladiators kill each other and we'll yeah, get our blood. <laughs> we'll, we'll get that whole somebody's scene getting, still. Somebody's yeah. getting sacrificed. <laughs> Good grief. There is a return to talk of human sacrifice when looking at the candles on the tree, which some claimed was made from the fat of children who were sacrificed. But I'd venture to say it was probably from the sacrifices of all the animals before winter set in. I would imagine. Yeah. I would hope. I'm thinking that's mostly where they were making <laughs> yeah. the candles from. I mean, you would have less mouths to feed if you didn't have the kids Oh my gosh, too. you're terrible. <laughs> Stop. 
And then Saturn has been said to be another image of father time. And the New Year baby is the sacrifice victim. Oh, but he's so cute. His little diaper. I know. (laughs) Because, you know, sometimes father time has the uh, Sith. And so they're thinking he kind of looks like the angel of death or the Grim Reaper, (laughs) that kind of thing. And here comes the new baby. Whereas instead of saying he's out with the old year, bringing in the new year, it's here comes the baby for the sacrifice. Great. And Saturn is also supposed to be like Santa. And then you have, you know, the little children coming and sitting on Santa's lap. Here comes the child sacrifice. Okay. Right to Santa. Might make people think a little bit differently about those pictures with their their kids screaming their heads off on Santa's lap. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) They know what's coming. They have every inclination as to what's about to occur. Those kids know a thing or two. So you're kind of getting the picture here of how you've got Saturn and child sacrifice. Now, we have balls on our trees, right? These ornaments. Well, it is said that they supposedly represented the heads of those conquered by the sun god or, uh, well, other body parts, body parts. (laughs) Oh, my God. Not his head, or at least not that head. Oh, my word. (laughs) Retrieving. And this is PG. I remember. (laughs) I am keeping it PG. I'm not saying anything that. Okay. would give it away. And retrieving presents from under the tree represents parents sacrificing their children under the trees for the sun god. Oh, my. Now, did any of these things happen? I'm sure there were cultures that participated in these kinds of things. We know that there were some sacrifices going on in the Bible. It talks about passing your children through the fire to Moloch. Most of this stuff that I got here is from Christian websites that don't want people to observe Christmas even. Wow. Because it has its roots in this. But for as far back as I could find things, I wasn't seeing a whole lot of sacrifice other than sacrificing the animals. And it wasn't really what I would call a sacrifice as much as it's farming animals for eating. Yeah, farming (laughs) essentially. Right. I mean... When you don't have the feed to keep it up, you you make sacrifices, quote unquote. Everything that I looked at when it came to UL just looks like not only is it very tame in comparison to some of this other talk about Saturnalia, but it just is a a really good time for Christmas to be based in. If Christmas was going to grab some traditions from something, UL was a good place to do that. And here's the thing, Kelly, you and I both consider ourselves... We use the term Christian, but we're mostly what I would say are followers of Christ. Yeah, definitely. Not real hip to the church and stuff. I don't know why it seems like when you look at some of the practices of the pagans, those are considered evil. I don't either. Being connected to the earth. Well, who made the earth? If you believe that God made it, then why would it be bad for you to want to take care of it and to be thankful to it and to give back some of these extreme thoughts that they get when it comes to this time of the year? It's just kind of silly to me. And, you know, looking at some of the things that people talk about and seeing what some of our spectacular crew do as their observances... Sounds like a pretty fun thing for us to start maybe adding some of those traditions to what we do. I agree. I'm all for it. So in speaking to the listeners, too, why don't you join us in observing UL this year? This episode's going to come out on December 19th. So you'll have a couple days to throw some things together. Go walk out in the woods and find yourself a good log on the ground. Kelly, you know how to drill. (laughs) I've got my drill bits. I've got my drill. (laughs) Absolutely. We'll make ourselves a little UL log. What we'll do is take a solstice walk. That's what they call it. 
and you'll go out into the woods and bring some of the greenery into the house with you. Everywhere has evergreens, even Florida. That is true. We just have to watch out for the gators. That's true, too. And snakes. <laughs> I'll watch out for the snakes for you. Okay. We'll make ourselves a little UL log. Bring on a snake or two. It'd probably be good for us to sit down. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Write down what we're grateful for in the past year. That's Absolutely. kind of looking at introspection, looking to the past year, and then visualize the next year and the path you want to walk in the next year. And I that's, think that's a fantastic idea. Yeah, that's something I I used to do it a little bit, but I haven't really incorporated that visualizing in my life as much. And that's going to be one of my focuses this next year. I think it's just going to keep me focused on where I'm heading, where I want to be. That's definitely a good thing yeah. for everyone. Exactly. So I think that's something that would be very cool to do. Kiss somebody under the mistletoe. <laughs> We also want to remind you guys, join us on Christmas Eve at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as we tell scary ghost stories in keeping with the old traditions. We've talked about the old tradition of telling ghost stories on previous Christmas specials. For the last five years, I have done that every single Christmas Eve. I've been telling stories out on the back patio. We'll get our little skull filled up with its oil and light the flame. (laughs) Very good. I'm looking forward to it. And what I have done, it always depends upon what technology is around at that time. We've done various different things. I think what we're going to do with this one, we definitely will be on Facebook Live in the Spooktacular crew. And then I think I'm also going to try to do streaming on our YouTube channel. So if you're not subscribed to the YouTube channel, do that as well. We do throw up videos up there too. It's not just a static picture with a podcast for all of them. We do have some videos up there as well. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Check it out. So we want to tell you guys to have a happy UL, a Merry Christmas, and blessed whatever you observe at this time of the year. And don't forget to keep it spooky. Absolutely. (laughs) We have to have creepy, spooky Christmas around here. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Merry, merry, and all that good stuff. Ho, ho, ho. And don't shoot your eye out. We invite you guys to check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. I do have an email to share with everyone. Chris wrote us and said, I just recently found your show on Spotify and I love it. I grew up in Richmond, Virginia and wanted to let you know about a couple places close to Ashland because we did Haunted Ashland as our last episode. In the city of Richmond, there's a cemetery with old Civil War graves. Also the home of the vampire y'all spoke of. It's called Hollywood Cemetery. The only place I ever went that spooked me was the Cold Harbor Battlefield, the scene of a large Civil War battle. It said you can see soldiers running across the field of the house that was used as the hospital. The night we went, I didn't see anything, but we kept hearing voices on the tree line just low enough to not be able to make out what was being said. Oh, wow. We definitely need to get there. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, Virginia's got so much great stuff there. And then Chris also mentioned this house in Petersburg, Virginia, and I believe I've heard of this one before. It's made of old tombstones from a cemetery that was redone. What? So they, really? I, I guess they redid some of the, the headstones or something. So then oh, they wow. took the old ones and built the house out of it. So That's incredible. We'll have to find a picture of it somewhere. Yeah. And then Sarah shared in the Spooktacular crew that she went to Randolph-Macon College and she had an experience there. Very cool. She said, I only had one encounter with Alice, our nickname for the ghost. I woke up in the middle of the night once and looked over to see someone, Alice, standing at the bottom of my bed by my desk. It freaked me out for a moment before I remembered that it was Alice. So I said hi to her. 
Other people who lived in Mary Branch had some experiences with her, such as cold spots, things being moved, thrown across their rooms, etc. Well, she sounds like a friendly ghost. I guess, except <laughs> well, for the throwing stuff across the room. That's true. That's true. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't say that anybody got hit with them. That's so. true. <laughs> and then Ginger posted in the Spooktacular crew, My battery candles have been turning on without anyone using the candle remote for the past month. I believe it has something to do with our TV remote interference. At the same time, I can't replicate it. I've had the same remote and candles in the same position for a year without issue. It happened again last night. It's unsettling to walk away, then come back, and they are quietly on. Happy Friday the 13th. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) So I don't know what's going on there. Some people said, you know, they have a little button you can flip on it and they'll... Well, just like the ones that we have, they're on a timer. So that might be possibly the case. Or I asked, has anyone passed away? And she has had family members that have passed away. So maybe they're just coming to say hi. Could be. We want to thank you all for tuning in to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. This has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We want to thank Sarah Jimison and Jason Widmer for their one-time donations. want to thank Jenna Eggleston for raising her donation. She's going to be moving into a garden tomb and welcoming into the graveyard Carol Angel. She's going to be buried in a chest tomb. Thanks, guys. Be sociable. Drop the chain rattling, neck biting, and shape shifting, and join us on Facebook and Twitter at History Goes.